So what do you have for breakfast this morning? You don't have to answer. That's okay. But I want you to think about what you had for breakfast this morning. Uh, nutritionists tell us that we are what we eat. Um, they tell us that our appetite uh, determines our diet, that our diet determines the intake, and the intake determines our health. So we know that our physical health uh, has something to do with the intake of what we eat. So we ought to watch what we eat, right? Show of hands of everybody that eats everything that is perfectly good for you. None of you? I mean, all of us eat some terrible things sometimes, I guess. Well, um, as you might know that what we eat affects our physical health, Believe it or not, um, what we eat applies to the spiritual realm. What we take in applies to our spiritual nature and who we are as Christians. So we are at this beatitude uh, today. This is the fourth one. This is verse 6, if you want to follow along. Um, and we're going to look at some places in the Sermon on the Mount this morning, uh, some other verses and so, listen to what Matthew records as Jesus is saying this particular verse, and it says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. There's that word. For they shall be satisfied. Now, your version may have, they shall be filled. And that's okay, because we're going to look at how uh, that works together this morning. So this verse literally is, is one of those, as all of them are, but we need to hear this verse this morning. We need to take this verse in this morning because it is an important verse for us to understand. Martin Lloyd-Jones says it this way, if this verse is to you one of the most blessed statements in all of Scripture, you can be quite certain that you're a Christian. But if not, he says, then you might want to examine your foundation again. Jesus tells us that we, what we hunger for determines our, our spiritual health. Lloyd-Jones continues, he says, According to Scripture, happiness is never something that should be sought directly. It is always something that results from seeking something else. And in this case, hungering and thirsting after righteousness brings happiness, satisfaction. It is filling to our soul. So this fourth beatitude this morning, we need to understand this. But before I go any further, let's pray. Father, thank you for who you are and for what you have done. Father, I pray this morning that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts will be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, for you are our strength and our redeemer. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. So to understand righteousness, if we were going to look at it from a secular point of view, the 
dictionary gives us some definitions of righteousness or what it means to be righteous. And, and so the secular definitions are as such. Righteousness is being upright, it's being moral, uh, genuine, living rightly is said to be a quality or state of being righteous. Righteous conduct or being just in our living. And so that's the secular definition, and that plays in some to the biblical definition. But in Scripture, we often interpret Scripture with Scripture. We look to uh, what Scripture says about specific words or uh, specific topics. And in the case of righteousness, you may not have known this, but this would be a good trivia question for you if you're doing Bible trivia. The word righteousness is only found once in the other Gospels, but it's found seven times in Matthew, and five of those seven are in the Sermon on the Mount. Sermon on the Mount. And so one place here, so what I want to do as we look at the biblical definition, I, I want us to look at what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount about righteousness. And that will help us have an understanding. Now, we will get to those verses again down the road and uh, expound on them a little more than I'm going to today. But um, let's see what he says. So Matthew 5.10, the... Eighth beatitude, blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so righteousness in verse 10 is talking about a lifestyle that, that dis distinguishes us, a, a lifestyle that we live as true Christians and ironically invites opposition from the world. Listen to that verse again. Blessed are those who have been persecuted. Remember, blessed is happy, approved. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness. In other words, living rightly, living holy for God, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This eighth beatitude and the fourth beatitude go together. And we see that working together so that if you were to read these together, they would read something of this nature. We are to hunger and thirst after all kinds of life that calls us or after the kind of life uh, in Christ that calls us to be persecuted for our faith. So that righteousness distinguishes us as followers of Jesus Christ, as true Christians. And because of that life, we are going to face opposition and persecution. And so we may not like how that kind of plays out because the eighth beatitude says that we're going to be persecuted because we're righteous, but we're going to get to that a little bit, few few uh, Sundays down the road. But the lifestyle that distinguish us, distinguishes us as true Christians invites opposition from the world. That's one definition that the scriptures give us of a righteous life, living in righteousness. The next is found in 
Matthew 5.20, and 5.20 says, For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. You will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, the Pharisees, the scribes and the Pharisees, they, um, they had a system that they had uh, fabricated in that you have to live into this way, you have attendance to the temple, uh, you have to act this way, live into these traditions or these precepts that we have set for you to live into, and if you don't, then they didn't consider that you were righteous. And so Jesus is telling us, look, your righteousness, <laughs> you can't use the scribes and the Pharisees a- as uh, your model. Uh, they think they're professional, uh, they have these um, uh, traditions and rituals that they are living into or trying to, but it's just on the surface. It's kind of like um, if you buy, um, a, you have a cheap perfume and you might have been outside working and instead of taking a shower, you decide to throw on that cheap perfume to mask uh, your musky smell. The, the, the fact is, you still stink. And all you did was put something on the surface. Uh, unless you clean that out, that smell out, you, you're not going to smell clean. These scribes and Pharisees had this outward look, this outward splash, this outward appearance. And Jesus said, that's, that's just not true righteousness Uh, Righteousness starts in the heart, and it changes a person. So this righteousness is a heart change, a change from the inside out. Verse uh, 6-1 in the Sermon on the Mount. Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you will have No reward with your Father who is in heaven. So this righteousness is a righteousness that you don't worry about the need of others to see it. It's that God sees it. Only God is that person that needs to see it. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of people, to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. The Pharisees practiced praying in, um, uh, in public so that others would see them. They wore garb that was different than everyone else uh, so that they would be recognized as this holy person before the Lord. I will tell you that there is a robe on the back of my door, and I used to wear that robe. I always wondered about wearing that robe. I was told when I was ordained in the United Methodist Church, you need to buy a robe and you need to wear it because it sets you apart. And what it does is it clothes you you so that others can't see you. They just see God. And I often thought, dang, is that true? (laughs) You know, I'm just hidden and all of a sudden I put a robe on. Um, and, and, and that's going to hide me, Marty, uh, from all of you. And then 
what you add to it is this thing, this piece of cloth, and you wrap that around you, and then you add a, a cross, and you add all this other stuff, and you can go to churches this morning, and that's fine if that's what they want to wear. Um, I mean, they look like they've come out of a jewelry shop, uh, and I'm not sure how that clothes them from you seeing them. It seems like to me that you're saying, oh, did they get a new piece of jewelry? The Pharisees were right before them with all of this garb on. And Jesus is saying, no, this, this righteousness is not about how you look to other people. It is how you look before God. How are you living your life before God? Is the substance good? Is the substance firm? Is, is it right and righteous before God? Uh, how many of you have been to the fair? I really want to see a hand because I haven't. But um, so if you go to the fair, one of the things that's there uh, is cotton candy. And a lot of people love cotton candy. I am not one of them uh, because the first bite you've got uh, sugar and sticky all over your face and it gets all over your cheeks and all over your lips and all. I just, it just doesn't do anything for me. But if you have bitten into can uh, cotton candy, it's almost like there's nothing there. There's no substance there. Uh, in fact, if you just lay it down and, and watch it over a period of time, um, this big poof of what really looks good that enticed your sensory and your eyes, oh, I want that because it looks so rainbowy good. If you just buy one and you go lay it on your table and watch what happens to it, it will not take it long that it's only something about this big and it's nothing but just pure sugar that has melted down to nothing. We need to have substance, and that substance is righteousness, not for others to see. It's not that good-looking uh, cotton candy. It is actually what is on the inside that God sees in us, and only God sees it all. We can live a life that is hypocritical, uh, we can look one way before someone, but God sees our heart. God knows our righteousness. And there's one more verse in the Sermon on the Mount that um, Jesus uses to talk about righteousness. And, and that's verse um, 33 uh, in 633. So it reads this way, and this is a familiar verse to you. Uh, at least most of you should have memorized this verse at some point in your life, uh, your journey with Christ. But seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Part of the Sermon on the Mount. Seek first. The kingdom of God and his, God's righteousness, and all these things will be provided to you. And so we're to seek God's approval in everything above everything else. This touches on the priorities that we set for ourselves. And we have to ask ourselves, is um, fame and money and fortune and career and salary and uh, a secure future, a great retirement... Um, is our marriage or our partner, um, boyfriend, girlfriend, uh, fulfillment of the dream that you have, 
uh, that's set before you. Maybe if you're younger, you're setting that dream of your future. All of those things are great things and great priorities to have. But often we set them before our righteousness or before God, seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness first. We are called by God to put on his kingdom, to be righteous in our living. And if we do, that full feeling, that satisfaction, Jesus says, will come to you. You will be filled with the righteousness of God. Now, when it says that these things will be provided or added to you, this is not your wish list. This is not your list that uh, you've got that you would love for God to provide uh, your dream home and your dream car and your dream bank account and your dream whatever. Um, this is not your wish list. When we live into the righteousness of God, when we are seeking righteousness for God, from God, when we are righteous before him in all things, then the right things are added to us. God is providing, adding to us those righteous things in his name because it is God who provides the righteousness. When we put these four passages in together, if you were to read them together, they would read something like this. When you hunger and thirst after righteousness... A true Christian lifestyle is evident. It is a lifestyle that changes from the inside out so that you no longer seek the praise of men because we seek God's approval above everything else. This would be the righteous life. This would be the kind of life that God is calling us to live. This is the life that really sounds pretty good that God's going to bless us and give us and fill us and that, that uh, want and desire is going to be filled by his righteousness. But if that's the case and it sounds so good, why do many people not live into the righteousness of God? Why do they not hunger for the power that God gives through living into his righteousness? Now, those that were on the side of the mountain that day, um, most of them would have understood this metaphor, this analogy that Jesus is talking and, and teaching. And so when Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst, those words would have had meaning to them. Most of these people would not have been well-to-do. Uh, maybe there were, you know, some scribes and Pharisees or some of the wealthy that were there. But most of the people on the hill on the side of in Galilee that day would have probably been those that had hungered or had thirst before. By the way, there were, of course, no grocery stores, refrigerators, or running water at the time. And so there was somewhat difficulty for anyone to get food and water. And, and, and so these are, are ones that would understand and hear these words and, and say, yes, I've been there. I understand what it means to have these pains in my stomach. I under, understand what it means to have this dry mouth, but yet there's no water to quench my thirst. 
most of us, I would say, has not, have not experienced true hunger and thirst. In fact, uh, what we consider hunger is waiting 10 minutes for the cinnamon rolls to come out of the oven. Or maybe um, our hunger is waiting for the preacher to finish his 40-minute sermon so we can get on with this and get lunch because my stomach's growling. Give me time. I'm getting there. Um, for most of us, it's kind of that we just ate lunch and it's 2 o'clock and we're passing by McDonald's and our stomach and mind says, you know, a fry would sound good and a Coke. And it's only been two hours since we ate. We live in a country that is uh, just filled with wonderful things. And we are, it's been said that we are one of the uh, best fed people in the world. Uh, that we have uh, so much. And we think about what we throw away to the dogs or in the trash or get rid of. Kind of mind-blowing. I've told some of you, um, when I was in the Air Force, um, my wife was going one way to, to college, and I was going the other way to the military base. And if she was on the campus, she could eat at the cafeteria. If I was on the base, I could eat at the mess hall. But at home... You know, we had to provide for ourselves when we were off or during the week or uh, off time weekends. And um, there were many days where we would take a uh, dollar in some sense and go buy uh, what we could in potatoes. And um, we would eat potatoes for seven or ten days until I got paid again. And I've cooked potatoes a lot of ways. Uh, soup, french fries, mashed potatoes. Just come to me and I can tell you how to cook potatoes. That bag had to last us a week, sometimes even into the next week. But I will tell you, I've never, even with that, experienced true hunger. Have you? Jesus says, hunger and thirst after me, after my righteousness. This metaphor that he uses is motivating. It is a powerful metaphor because even in our limited state, when we are hungry, we feel it. When we are without drink, we have a dry mouth. And so what would fill us spiritually? What would help us to be filled spiritually hungering you know, for our hearts to be filled, what would that be to lead us to this righteous life? And first, I think we have to want it. Now, no one's going to force you to eat it, to eat. No one's going to uh, uh, make you have to eat, or at least most times you won't. Um, growing up on the farm, that old adage was true for me. You can lead a horse to water, you can't make them drink. I've experienced that. Um, that is a true statement. It's not just a, uh, uh, some statement that you hear. Uh, it is true. So you have to want it. 
this food that, that God is offering us, you have to want it. You have to want this righteous life that, that God is giving, that God is offering. The verbs here for hunger and thirst mean that it is an intense desire. It is a art and craving for. It is a all-consuming in your life that you want what God has to offer. That you would move everything out of the way for what God could give you in righteousness. You are so hungry, so desperate for what God has for you that you're going to lunge for it. You're going to take it. Lloyd-Jones says, and I totally agree, he says, when we think about righteousness and the pursuit of righteousness, he said, it should be a longing for us to be completely holy. Not partially, not a little bit, but our longing, this want to, should be for us as Christians to be completely holy in the eyes of God, are we? King David, Psalm 42, first couple of verses, a familiar passage again, as the deer pants, or you could fit that word in, as the deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, O God. I thirst for God, the living God, the psalmist says, David says. Do we long and thirst for the living God. In Psalm 63, God, you are my God. I eagerly seek you. I thirst for you. My body even faints for you because the land is dry and desolate and without water. And so the psalmist is saying, Father, I know what's before me, but I'm still going to seek you beyond all other things. I want you. Could we say to Jesus, I not only want you, but I need you? I not only need you, but I must have you, Jesus. Is, is that where we're at? Not only do we have to want it, but we have to take action. Um, our appetites aren't filled unless we do something. Now, you just heard me say a while ago, God is the God that provides um, this righteousness in our life but there's a part that we play in seeking it in wanting it and here taking action you know when we fail to eat properly or if we lose our appetite those of you that have had covid um, i know when i had it i lost my appetite i did not want to eat anything and I lost 20-some pounds in those two and a half weeks that, um, that I was down with, with COVID. And so physically, we know that if we don't eat, it's going to affect our physical body. The same is true spiritually. If we do not hunger and thirst for God, if we do not want, take action to be reading and praying and worshiping God, there should be an alarm in us that would go off, kind of like the alarm on your car when something's wrong and a light comes on and says, you need to check your engine, you know. 
there should be something inside of us that if we aren't taking action, if we do not want it, if we are not uh, taking action to have this in our life, that this warning light goes on and says, whoa, wait a minute, Marty, you need to check yourself because your spiritual life is such that you are not feeding it. You are not going to the source because Jesus is the source. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry. No one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. Now, he was not talking about the physical, but he was talking about the spiritual. If you come to me, you will never be hungry. You will never be thirsty again. And he goes on to say, I am the bread of life who came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, they will live forever. The bread that I give them for life is life in this world. And then he says, it's my very flesh. Now, if you read on in John's, John 6, you will see that there were those that left him that day. They, scripture says they no longer followed him or were his disciples because they couldn't live into what he was asking them to do spiritually. They wondered who this man was that would say, if you eat my flesh, you will live. When we are spiritually hungry, we come to the source of life, and that source of life is Jesus himself. Our hunger for God is real. St. Augustine said this, O oh God, you have made us for yourself, but our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. So we are made to be in relationship with God, Augustine is saying. But what he's saying is, until we find our rest in God, our rest, our soul, is not at rest. When we hunger and we seek, and we hunger a, sin, a sinless life uh, to be sanctified in a way that God has called us in our lives, that righteousness begins to pour into us in a way that fills us and satisfies us. The problem is, is not just those on the outside of the church, but there's those within the church that try to find a place to satisfy that hunger in other ways. We try to find that in pleasure, performance, possessions. We try to find it in the junk food of this world that we think is going, and I'm not talking about the physical food. I'm talking about all the things this world has to offer. That is nothing more than junk in the long term. It's almost like we say, I have all that I need. I attend church sporadically now and then, but that fills some of that need. Or uh, I, I, I worship in this way, or I serve in a ministry occasionally, um, it's almost like we say, eh, I'll take a little bit, but I don't know that I can be all in. Isaiah 55.2, I love how Eugene Peterson writes this in the message. If you read verse 2 in the message, it reads this way, why do we spend, why do you spend your money on junk food, your hard-earned cash on cotton candy, 
listen to me and listen well. Eat only the best, that that fills yourself with the finest. And Isaiah is talking about God, not the things of this world. We seem to try to satisfy this heart of ours in many different ways. And we are, there are many within the church that are malnutritioned or malnourished. And they haven't gone to the source. They haven't been filled by the source. Again, I think that we need to realize that we need to come back for more. Grammatically in this text, these two words, to hunger and to thirst, they're present participles. They're a continuous action uh, in the Greek. And so what it means is that we are continually thirsting and hungering to be filled with this righteousness. A person doesn't stop hungering and thirsting after they come to faith in Jesus Christ. They are constantly having this desire to have more and more of Christ in their life. The Apostle Paul tells us the same thing in his letters, that we are to be more and more like Christ. And if that hunger isn't there, that thirst to be more and more like our Savior, maybe we go back to uh, Lloyd-Jones and say, well, maybe you need to check your foundation because Christ calls us to hunger and thirst after him, after his righteousness, this continual pursuit of what he has for us. Discovering the righteousness of God and what God has to offer is almost like a narcotic. When you are um, addicted to a narcotic, it's like you can't get enough of it. It's, it's your body longs for it. Uh, and so when we encounter Christ in this way and we're living in this, I can't get enough, I want all that God has for me, that comes to this last point that I think that we need for the desire of all God has to give us. Sometimes we seek bits and pieces. God, give me a piece of bread and God says, well, what about the whole loaf? I'd like to give you all that I have to give you. Are you open for that? Well, you know, God, if, if I take the whole loaf, that means that you're going to ask me to do something that I really don't want to do. Or, or you're going to ask me to give something that I really don't want to give. And so, God, I'll take just enough so that maybe your Holy Spirit doesn't prick my heart in a way that hurts because I'm living for self instead of for you. That superficial change can be superficial, kind of like cosmetic surgery. Um, try to make ourselves look really good at times, and, and, and sometimes that doesn't work out in the long term. Um, if you look at some of our... Um, uh, celebrities, just take a look at some of them. Whew, it's pretty bad. For God, God says, I want you to have it all. I want you to be filled. And this is where we come to that second part of that verse. And, and God says, if you hunger and thirst after my righteousness, that you're going to be satisfied. You're going to be filled. That's the promise. That's the result of doing what he's called us to do. It's not money. It's not food. It's not status. It's not where you live. It's not about promotion. It's not about the perfect family. 
It's not about a trouble-free life. God says, you will be filled with righteousness. So when we are blessed, we will be filled with righteousness. When we seek in hunger, we will be filled with righteousness. And this righteousness we can have. This righteousness God will give us. So if, if you want this, you can have it. If you seek after it, you can have it. Let me, let me put it this way. If you want it, like you want to be closer, have a closer walk with God, you can have it. If you want it, you can have a better marriage. If you want it, you can have God's will for your life. If you want it, you can grow spiritually. If you want it, you can become a better man or a better woman in walking with God. If you want to, you can change your deeply ingrained habits that may not be pleasing to God. If you want it or want to, you can break destructive patterns of behavior. And this happens by the power of the Holy Spirit because you are seeking, as Jesus says, after his righteousness. You are hungering and thirsting for righteousness. And when you hunger and thirsty and thirsty for righteousness is when God begins to pour and fill and make you satisfied. If you want it, you can have it. And folks, hun hungering and thirsting for righteousness continually, seeking God above all else, it fills us with Jesus himself. It, it, it fills us with Jesus. And so Jesus in this verse, you could say, he's saying, come to me. When you come to me, I'm going to fill you. Me, Jesus. I'm, I'm telling you, if you will seek and hunger after me, I'll fill you with my righteousness. I'll fill you with myself. If you hunger, come and eat the bread of life. If you're thirsty, come and drink the water of life. If you're weary and heavy laden, come and I'll give you rest. If you are guilty, come and I will forgive you. If you are far from me, come and I'll bring you home again. I'll bring you back. The French philosopher Pascal said, and you've heard this, we have a God-shaped vacuum, a hole in our heart, and our natural life abhors that. And so it tries to fill that empty space with something. And we fill it with all the things of the world. And that makes us unhappy in the end. It only fills us up for just a short period of time in some way. Is it any wonder that so many people that have money, status, all the things that we think would bring happiness, they're not happy. Is it any wonder that there are those that have, that jump off of a building and take their life because they can't imagine living life the way they feel? Those that feel that 
God-shaped vacuum with anything but God. They think that their stomachs are full, but in essence, their heart is still empty. Too many times we say, God, I'm not sure that I can do this, or I want this, or I want what you can give. But we've got to release that. And we need to desire. We need to seek after. We need to run towards. We need to set everything else aside. Because we can get trapped in a thousand excuses. And God is still calling us and still saying to us, come to me, thirst after me, hunger after me, and I will fill you full of my righteousness. Let me give you some good news. This last thing I'm going to say before we pray and have communion. The good news is, if you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, he is seeking and you feel that seeking for him, if you come to him, seeking him, he will fill you with salvation. He will give you salvation in your life. I mean, my prayer would be as someone that may be watching this online that doesn't know the Lord, maybe someone watches it this week, maybe in another country, and we have others that watch in other countries uh, over the time of a, a week's period of time. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, Jesus will fill you and save you and give you salvation in his name. But you have to surrender. We as believers fall into another category. It's another S word. And that is sanctification. God is calling us to live into holiness, to be sanctified for him as believers in Jesus Christ. And if there is anything that we need to be that needs to be set aside so that we will be satisfied and filled by his righteousness, we need to be on our knees praying also as believers. Christ has called us to seek him and search him and seek after him for his righteousness for his name's sake. Thanks be to God that he pulls and seeks us to be a part of him. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word. Thank you for your word that uh, just calls us to obedience and to live a righteous life before you. You want to fill us. You want to give us, add all of those perfect things in our life that you and only you can give. And so, Father, I pray that if there's any part of any of us that says, oh, I have enough, but yet there's more that can be done, that we would just surrender, that we would want it, that we would take action. Father, that we would want all that you have for us and that we would live that life in such a way it would be pleasing in your eyes. In your eyes. And Father, we thank you and ask this in your son's name. Amen.